on that same note, I mean, think of how meaningful and how powerful it is for folks who don't feel male, don't feel female, who identify as non-binary or, or some other variation or some other gender, like how powerful it is to finally put a name to something that makes sense. Because, you know, there are people who have had to say, estoy cansada or, you know, whatever, and had to use the A and the O and haven't necessarily felt like that describes their experience. And then all of a sudden, you know, they have this X or this E and it feels, it just feels right. It feels, it makes sense for them. Like think of that person who feels so affirmed by that and, and like acknowledge that for a second. I think it's yeah. important to, to recognize that these, you know, non-binary identities have been around for thousands of years, including across Latin America. Um, and, you know, some of that language unfortunately disappeared through colonization, but think about that language emerging now. Like there's something to be said about finding the right word for you. You're listening to Nidaki. A podcast by the Marketing Jersey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first official episode of the Nidaki podcast. I'm Wiso Vasquez, and with me, the very talented and uh, I would have to say very opinionated, Janely Farias. <laughs> Janely, ¿cómo estás? Uh, good, we saw that's a funny way of you describing me, but um, it's actually pretty, pretty valid. Um, yeah, just welcome everybody to Nidaki. Uh, we're very, very excited to, to have you on and be part of this. It's always good to start a, you know, this, a podcast with making Daniele laugh. So um, I, wa- I want to say I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie because uh, we've already recorded a few episodes before. In fact, we've been trying to get this podcast on the air or off the air. Um, for for almost a year, Daniele, and we've, we're doing it. Um, but uh, I'm a little nervous because I definitely want to get this right. So I don't know. How are you feeling? Uh, yeah, I think uh, whenever we, we start something new, it's always there's there's always these nerves. Uh, but I'm excited too, and I think it's uh, so important that we've taken our time to to do this right because the topics that we we're going to discuss are very important and very relevant to to our community and, and the, the people that we want to reach. So I think it's it's good that we're here yeah. taking our time, doing our research. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So let's get to it. Um, for those that have been listening, you know, if you're wherever you're listening to, if you're listening at your home, your gym, first, I want to say thank you because you listen to our intro and somehow you're like, hey, this is going to be, this is going to be cool and important. Now you're giving us a shot. And like I said, this is our first official official episode. Um, we've already actually recorded a few episodes and they're not on, we haven't posted them yet because um, once we were recording, like I said, this Nidiaki lifestyle that we've been wanting to talk about, there was a certain subject that we kept coming back to, kind of an issue that we've had. And that is, what do we call ourselves? Because there are so many different ways that people identify themselves today, especially um, us in the Latinx, Latino, Latina, Hispanic, Chicano, Mexican, whatever you like to call yourself. I felt like I'm always I was always searching this every time I wanted to talk about the group of people that we are. I didn't have the right words. And obviously, there's so many I, I don't want to say is is people fighting about what we should call it ourselves people are very very they have a lot of different feelings about what you want to call each other but this issue kept coming up and that is latinx latinos latinas hispanic and uh i wanted to have this episode so we can really really dive into it discuss it 
and uh, just kind of give everybody out there uh, at least the knowledge of where it comes from and what we should do about it. So this is our first episode, Latinx Dentally. Yeah, uh, like you said, right, how do we identify, right? It's so important, and I think all of you out there that are listening, for you to just ask yourself, you know, how do you identify? Uh, Why? Because we all want to... We all want to belong. I think as people, uh, that's why we're here, right? We're here because we want to belong. We want to be part of something. And we've gone back and forth about, about this term, about what Latinx means. And it's so important that we dive into it, that we, that we get our, our different perspectives out on there, that we define it, that we kind of make it clear for all of you listening, because uh, we want to be able to reach as many people as possible. And we want everybody listening to feel uh, like they can identify with, with what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be hard. I, you know, there's, we are all very, very different. And you said that we want everybody to be included in this Nidaki lifestyle and apologies if we don't, you know, if we fail at that. And this is why I think this is going to be a podcast that it's uh, that we're going to learn, you know, going every episode that we're doing, I know I'm learning and hopefully you learn with us too. Um, Latinx generally have when do you remember the first time you used the word? Actually, I don't remember the, the first time I used Latinx, but I do recall just growing up, right, using Hispanic or Latina to identify. You know, there's there are, we're always looking to be classified in some way when we fill out a form or when we go to school or work, etc. Um, and Latinx, I think, came into my life recently, I want to say in the, the past few years. And it was kind of, to me personally, it was like mind blowing because I was like, oh, this is something that is very inclusive because uh, the word Latina or Latino, uh, they only specify two genders, right? Yeah. And Latin X is more open. Uh, so to me, it was like, it was like a no brainer, right? It was a no brainer. Uh, and then I, when I started hearing a bunch of like kind of backlash or people questioning it, I was like, wait, 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 why, you know, what's happening? What is it? I don't see a problem with this. So that was how I was first like introduced with into it. What about you? To me, Latinx, I didn't understand it. I'm going to be completely honest. It just kind of, what is Latino? We have Latina. Why, why do we need anything else? I think we finally, everyone's okay with being Latin American um, because before the Hispanic term, uh, a Chicano for for those of you who were born in, in, in the U S it just, for some reason, they didn't identify me. And I didn't have a problem with someone saying, hey, the Latinos over there, um, you know. Uh, so when I first Latinx, I didn't really care because I'm not like, going to go in there and be, no, don't use something. But I also wasn't like, ah, this is this is personal to me. And I know there are many, many of you out there with um, that I've talked to that have almost either the same mentality where it's just like, I really don't care. Or you're just like, I really don't. I really care, but I don't want anyone, I don't want to be called Latinx. And I think this episode, hopefully um, you, you get some of those either questions answered about the term. And if you've already done your research, great. Um, and you can reinforce it. Um, I think at the end of the day, whatever you want to be called is is what's important. But I we wanted to make this episode to kind of get that knowledge out there. And I know I don't have the, the full knowledge. I can sit there and do a, a lot of research, but... I don't have the full knowledge. And generally, you, um, as 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 smart as you are, and I know that you do a ton of research, I know neither of us 
had uh, had the time to put real research in. So we brought somebody in, brought somebody in that could help us out, that um, will help us kind of answer our questions and hopefully gives us a little bit more understanding on on the term, why people have so much problem with it, and ultimately what's what's the next step for us. So um, I want to. Uh, I want to present Mr. Michael Angel Vasquez, who's a queer Mexican-American educator from the Los Angeles area. He is a former teacher, and he's currently pursuing his PhD in education at Harvard University, where he researches topics related in ethnic racial identity development among Latinx youth. That was a mouthful. Michael, welcome, welcome to the first episode of Nidiaki. How are you, man? Thank you. Hi, uh, I'm super excited. I'm super stoked. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the invite and just letting y'all know that I've been, you know, following your games for years, Yaneli. I've been listening to your show and your crew, We So, for so long. So for me, this is an honor and the chance to talk about Latinx identity with soccer experts is like, never thought that was possible. That is a dream come true. <laughs> Anything is possible. Yeah. So thank you, you, you so said, much. You said soccer experts, and I'm glad that uh, I'm finally classified as a soccer expert somewhere <laughs> out there. Um, Danelli plays. She's a professional. I, I I talk about it and write about it. So somewhere in there, we're experts. Um, speaking of experts, Michael, you are an expert in this. <laughs> and, I, and I know that, uh, you know, to, to say that is of all the research that you're doing, um, you the research topics you know that, that you have you've we've held talks you've done an extensive amount of research on this term but ultimately on what we are tell me a little mm -hmm. bit about what you normally do or or um and what your research is in, in harvard yeah so um basically i look at ethnic racial identity which is just this idea of like what is the process that a lot of people especially youth go through to learn about themselves and learn about who they are and kind of put a label to it um so this is definitely this conversation is definitely right up my alley you know what is what are youth right now looking at which is a lot of cases social media what are they learning in schools how are they having these conversations with their families um, what kind of representation are they seeking out or what kind of rep representation are they receiving? And so kind of taking all that together, seeing the kind of language that they're using or craving, and then kind of just trying to use that as guidance for, um, you know, how I see myself and how a lot of us in the communities that we're from kind of see each other or, or ourselves as well. Um, so yeah, so basically working with youth, um, interviews, doing a lot of reading, doing a lot of talking, um, going on social media and kind of seeing, you know, those interactions amongst themselves too, um, to kind of just inform this whole topic. It's, I, I don't want to, I mean, I have a sound, but it looks like the Nidiaki lifestyle is like right up the alley on, on, on coming in, right? Because you're, you're talking to the youth and how do they identify themselves and it, it all kind of comes in with, with it. Um, yeah. Let's, let's jump into the subject. You know, we, like I said, you are our expert on Latinx. Um, Danelli, what, I guess let's start, I, what questions, where, where can we start with this? And um, I guess we can start with the history of it. Because when I asked you, Danelli, you know, when was, when was the first time you used it? To you, you said fairly recent. To me, also fairly recent. And I think most people would say oh, Latinx just came from out of nowhere for us, for, I guess, people that aren't paying attention. But Michael, um, Give us a little history of where it came from, where Latinx came from, who, what, where, if you can, and uh, how it was kind of brought up on us. Yeah. So um, basically, when it comes to this topic, like I've 
try to do a lot of research, doing a lot of reading um, from scholars on the topic of, you know, what it means to be Latino or Latina, Latinx. Um, done a lot of research. Uh, also, again, like I said, on social media of current academics, acad activists and stuff who've talked a lot about it and looked at like archives on history of where the X and the E and all these variations come from. Um, and I think when I think about the history of the term, the first thing that comes to mind is defining what Latin America is in the first place. Um, so, you know, it, Latin America to a lot of people means a very different thing. Um, but in general, it's just a very unique region um, where we associate a lot of like um, indigenous, black, Asian, you know, mixed communities that are all throughout the Western hemisphere going, you know, starting from Mexico all the way down to Argentina, Chile, um, also including the Caribbean, um, Central America. And you've got like English, Spanish, French, Portuguese, uh, indigenous languages all, all throughout. Um, so it's a very like geographically, culturally, linguistically, uh, very diverse community. Um, and it's really hard to come up with an idea or a term or an umbrella that covers all of that because yeah. it's a region that has, you know, this rich history, this rich diversity. And how can we cover all of that um, with just one term? Um, and also, I mean, it's important to acknowledge that there are, there are like about 60 million people in the US uh, who identify as Latin American, and there's hundreds of millions in the Western Hemisphere as well. And so what do we consider Latin America um, is the first part to start off with. And how do we encompass a term that has all those histories, stories, traumas, um, and so on? Um, now, you know, what terms were used before? Uh, I think it's important to acknowledge, at least in the U.S., um, there was no, you know, there was no term necessary that defined the entire region um, like we do today when we think about Latin America. Um, a lot of times in the U.S., uh, Mexican-Americans, which was the biggest Latin American group back then in, in, in the 1930s, 1940s, and is still the biggest, although there are other groups that are growing now, um, Latin American folks, by and large, um, in particular, the court cases around Mexican American identity were considered white. Um, and so that's why a lot of times when even now when we fill out the census, um, they ask us for our race, and then they ask us for, for our ethnicity. ethnicity. Yeah. And so the options for race, you know, for a lot of people don't make sense. Um, I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> clicking it because I'm just like, do I really put white? Because I also don't feel right putting like Native American, for example. Um, but I also, I just don't think any of the options that are there really explain my experience. Well, it's white, black, Asian, Asian Pacific Islander, Native American. Yes. And right. And and yeah. Those, those are the race. Yeah. And then there is also an other category. Yeah. They an other. other now. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, I think a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll put other, other and then put, put other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they'll put other and then they'll put for their, uh, for their ethnicity, they'll say um, Hispanic or, or Latino Latina. origins. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it gets butchered all over the place because I, I went to a dermatologist and it was, you know, it's, I think race and it was Mexican and it was, you know, I think people, yes. there's so many different, different like you don't understand because everyone's so confused, but what are you where you can check off and just like generally said other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a complicated topic that's always evolving. Um, and I think like the fact that in a lot of cases, you know, a lot of Latin Americans would be considered white, at least with the census is term of, you know, race. I think it's important to acknowledge that like, even though, you know, 
we are quote unquote categorized as white, um, we're not necessarily treated as white. A lot of us aren't. Uh, and so in practice, um, it's not necessarily what it looks like on paper. Uh, and a lot of communities, you know, Latin American communities don't go around calling themselves white either. It's just when it comes to census, boom, that's when it comes up. Uh, and, you know, there are white Latin Americans, that's definitely true. Um, but it's, at least in terms of like integration and, and all these things and all those court cases that determined us as white, that's not, that treatment wasn't necessarily there. Um, and also I think it's important before we had like an all-encompassing term to acknowledge that even today, a lot of people before they use Latino or whatever, they've referred to themselves as their own like national or ethnic origin. Mm -hmm. So yeah. people are going to say Puerto Rican or Guatemalan or Bolivian before they say Latina or Hispanic. Um, and I think that's and, important to note because when you ask someone, and believe me, I get it all the time, what are you, right? Mm -hmm. Usually you say the country that your parents or you're from, or right. you know, I'm Mexican, you know, I don't go, I'm Hispanic. Either A, people already know, or you know that, you know, if you really don't know, maybe you're getting confused with Middle Eastern. I have that before, right? But rarely, I mean, people go, what are you? You go, oh, yeah, I'm, 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 you don't necessarily Latinx, Latina, Latino, Hispanic. You say the country that you're from. Exactly. Yeah. And my own personal experience, like it'll, I, I do consider myself part of the Latinx community, but my, the first thing that comes to mind, my main identity, I'm going to go with like Mexican American. Mm -hmm. um, it just seems to make more sense for my experience. Um, and yeah, and that's, that's a very common thing. And I think that's uh, a big thing that's also important to acknowledge in this greater conversation of what it means to be Latinx or Latin American or in general is, um, again, you're, you're taking this umbrella term and you know, a lot of different ethnicities and cultures and identities that fall under that. But there's still also preferences on how people want to identify individually or within a, a subset of that community. Um, and, you know, so now we've kind of talked about like, what is Latin America? Um, yeah. And how, you know, the census in the US defined Latin Americans, at least in the US context, um, in terms of like terms that kind of unify the community, it's not really until like the 1960s where we kind of see some attempt at that where you start seeing like raza or chicano kind of emerge um, and that kind of relates to a lot of the social movements that were going on at that time um, there was a lot of political movement activism among groups um, a lot of it starting from black power movement in particular uh, and you know, this was a chance to like unite a lot of people within the US about like a, a common cause towards social justice. Um, but it's also important to note that like the term Chicano is kind of, it came from the word like Mexicano. Um, so it's very much like uh, a Mexican American kind of centered term that also kind of emphasizes like male experiences. Mm -hmm. So Chicano, um, you know, at, it, at its surface refers to Mexican Mexican and Mexican-American men. So that obviously leaves out a lot of people. And although it's a term that a lot of people embrace, uh, um, you know, it is, it is the first instinct where we can't just take one term to define a whole community. Yeah. Um, it was Mexican and Mexican-American activists um, and a lot of men who had power to, to name themselves who took that term and refer to themselves. Um, and then you have other people who adopted that term who don't identify as Mexican or Mexican-American, but, you know, obviously there's, it makes sense why they wouldn't necessarily identify with it. So we're, we're, we're going through the history of pretty much trying to name ourselves in the United States, right? Yes. And do you see that, did you see that also outside of the U.S. where people were, 
what were we calling each other? If And I can see obviously the movements in, in, in the United States, but outside in, I would say Latin America, I think it's pretty easy. People will go see somos Latinos. Right. And, but if this is a pretty brand new turn, what were people calling each other? Uh, you know, during those times in the 1900s up to, you know, the turn of the century? I mean, I think the, the general, from what I found, the general kind of uh, way of, call, of referring to each other was, um, you know, oh, uh, somos paraguayos or um, brasileros. Or, it wasn't like we were all kind of united in, 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 I guess, in that sense. And I, and I could definitely see that because of all the, uh, you know, now, I'm not saying wars, but at the same time, like my country is better than your country. I don't, I don't want to associate yourself with, you know, if it's South America to Central America to Mexico to the United States. I, I, we're pretty divided coming up, and that could be many political reasons as to why. But I felt like it wasn't like until later, and quote me if I'm wrong, that this whole Latino thing kind of came. Hey, guys, we're all together, right? Because we are. And but that also came from other uh, groups labeling us as, you know, as the terms that we have, oh, the Latino, oh yeah, they like to party or they, you know, those, those prejudices that, that, that kind of go against us. So, all right, we're, we're kind of getting away from the history, but continuing with that, um, uh, Latinos, Chicanos, then what comes forward? Yeah. So, um, in the 1980s, we have the word Hispanic show up on, for the first time on the census. Um, and that's because, uh, you know, the government, the U.S. is trying to be like, all right, we have this growing population from Mexico, Central America, Caribbean, South America. We kind of want to like come up with a term to kind of categorize them. Uh, and so the term Hispanic came up um, and that was largely in reference to language um, because mm -hmm. a lot of the Western Hemisphere, the, the countries and cultures from, from that region do speak Spanish uh, as a result of colonization. Um, what's important to note that, that it's not the only language, uh, aside from indigenous languages, there's also Portuguese, there's French, there's English. Um, and so the, there are other languages there. So the, the attempt was to kind of define it all under Hispanic, um, but it obviously had its own flaws by just looking at language. Um, one thing that's important though, is there were community organizers um, of quote unquote, like Hispanic identity that did want to kind of have a unite, uniting term. So there were like Puerto Rican activists, there were Mexican American activists, there were like folks from Central America who were all over um, you know, the US who wanted to have like this one unifying term to kind of shed light on the issues that affect our, our specific communities, whether that's, you know, choosing what, you know, their, their, their children can study, where they can go to school, um, what languages they can use, because there's a lot of like language policy that comes into play. Um, so there was a movement among folks of Latin American heritage to kind of unite us under a term. So, so in some cases, Hispanic was welcomed too. Um, and then another big thing that I uh, came across was uh, a lot of it was also a marketing strategy. Um, so aside from the government wanting us to have like an umbrella, aside from some community activists wanting to have an umbrella, there was also businesses that wanted to kind of take advantage of this Spanish speaking growing population. They, they So they also wanted our money in a sense. Um, and so they wanted to market their products to us um, and that, you know, you have Univision and you have all these like news sites that are like kind of trying to appeal to this growing population. And that was one way to do it was to have the term Hispanic. So Hispanic. 
yeah so money politics community organizing all kind of fits mm-hmm. into that there term. needed to be a term so people could be addressed right and right. I, I come down to it so okay we're this growing population uh that's that speaks spanish let's call him hispanic okay all right so it's, yeah and we're going through we're getting closer to the 80s to to now at the turn of the century with with latinos yeah right? exactly so 2000 is actually the first year that the term Latino shows up in the census. So again, before it was Hispanic, and before that it wasn't Hispanic, it was just like your kind of national origin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2000, Latino shows up as an ethnicity. Uh, and that kind of, you know, the, the Hispanic word still is there, but Latino kind of now can encompass um, Brazilians, for example, uh, who speak mm-hmm. Portuguese mostly. Um, and, you know, I think it's important to note that like Latino is actually technically like a, an Italian word that's like derived from Latin. Um, and uh, yeah, and like it's a word that was kind of brought onto the region um, when people decided to like describe it as Latin America. Um, and so it made sense for a lot of folks who speak like Latin based languages to say, okay, we're going to call this region Latin America, because there is Portuguese, there is French, there is Spanish that's spoken there. So we're going to use Latin America, because that's like, the origin of those languages. So moving from Hispanic, which is language based to now, um, Latino, which is also language based. Kids, I think, I hope- uh, it's, it's important just to highlight two things before you continue um, giving us the history behind the term. It's important to highlight that. Uh, one, I think we're we're constantly looking to categorize or, or label people. Um, ideally, we live in a world where we didn't need labels, but I understand that we need them because that's kind of how people uh, can give themselves a sense of belonging. And two, that language and history itself is constantly evolving, right? So you're, totally. you know, you, you've gone through like um, just the beginning part of of how the term Latinx, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get to that point, how the term uh, came to light. Uh, but you just, what you've highlighted so far is that we're constantly evolving based on like what society or culture needs. So for all the people that are listening out there, I think it's important that we keep that in mind that as a society, as culture, as an evolving, changing world, um, we need to be like open-minded. It's important to be open-minded to change and to evolution because it's kind of how, it's just how the world works. Yeah, no, I I, com- I completely agree. It's you look back 10 years ago and the way that you were yourself and the, what you were using from how you called yourself pronouns, for example, it's very different. Right. And I, I feel like there's so many changes that are happening like every year, like maybe cause I wasn't paying attention before this was ahead, but I now in like in the last 10 years, I feel like there's so many changes that I'm learning about that I was either using wrong or I did wrong that now I'm like, okay, okay. What am I doing wrong right now? <laughs> I want to make sure I'm being inclusive. Um, we get to Latin America, Latinos, Latina, you hear it all. I think, you know, growing up in the early 2000s, the Latin, you know, the Latin awards, all your Latina, uh, the Latin explosion, you know, through music, you you start hearing this word more and more and more. Um, and it seems like there's no problem, right? Now comes Latinx, uh, Latini, or how many, however you want to describe it, but uh, Michael, what is the official, like, if someone asks you what Latinx is, how do you describe it? Yeah, I mean, I think I would describe it as a term that's 
you know, that comes from, that's like an evolution of the term Latino, that is like a non-binary, more inclusive way of describing Latin American identity. Um, so it's basically just describing our ethnic heritage uh, without necessarily putting gender into it. And it's also kind of a critical, um, kind of a critical term that looks at the history of um, Latinidad, Latinidad in general. Um, because if you look at Latino um, back in the 2000s, like a lot of people did like the term. Um, a lot of it took a little while for it to catch on, but a lot of people liked it because it did take away attention from Spain. A lot of people didn't necessarily want to be tied to like a colonizing mm -hmm. um, yeah. power. Um, but then, you know, there were still problems with it um, because you know, for one thing, now we have Brazil, but we don't necessarily include Haiti, Belize, Guyana, West Indies, which is an ongoing conversation to this day, right? Like, um, and then also, if we say Latinos, right, um, you can have a thousand women and one man, and we're going to say ellos for that whole group. Um, so it could, it could promote erasure. Uh, in fact, it, it very much does that. And, um, you know, at the same time in the 2000s, we're seeing the rise of the internet, we're seeing um, the arroba, the, the at symbol, that's emerging more and more where people are replacing the O with the at symbol to kind of refer to Latinas and Latinos. Um, and there's actually, you know, evidence of, of that that I've seen in the late 60s with Chicanos too, where they would have the big O and then inside it, there would be an A to kind of be more inclusive. The arroba symbol just didn't exist back then, but there were efforts that were critical of the gendered at least the male-centered um, language in the first place. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in general with Latino, it was just very hard to still encompass all of these experiences. And so Latinidad in some ways seems kind of arbitrary. Um, and in my case, like Latino, it, it's very much made for people like me who are like US based, who are men, who are, you know, brown mestizos. So it makes sense for, for people like me to like catch on and, and embrace that term. But there's a lot of people who don't have that identity from Latin America. And so Latinx is kind of like a way that's critical of that initial narrow scope and really kind of expanding it to include other people, gender, race, ethnicity, language, culture, uh, and so on. I think before we continue, I think it's important that we mention that um, that we discuss how gender is a social construct for sure. Um, for people to, I think, to really understand why uh, Latinx is 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 way more inclusive um, than the previous terms. Uh, I think it's it's very important to see that um, you know if we use a term like you said. Uh, uh, a thousand men and one woman, we're going to use the, oh, we're going to say ellos, right? Why, right? I think for the longest time, people really didn't question why uh, why we were using male the male as reference. And I think we're at a point in culture and history now where people are questioning more and more why the why and the how and the roots and the consequences of everything and anything that that we do. And the reality is, is that the Spanish language is... Uh, it's not gender neutral. It's either masculine or feminine, and it gives priority to to the male, to the, to the masculine side of the language. And it's important that we we talk about that. I don't know if you want to discuss a bit about why and how the implications of it. Yeah, no, that's a great point because you know gender is a a big part of 
Spanish, a big part of French, Italian, all these like Latin-based languages. Um, and so what ends up happening a lot is there is erasure or there is like, you know, we ignore women and we ignore people of other, you know, gender and experiences. Um, and that has a real implication as to, you know, the impact on society um, and how we act and how we interpret things. And so like, you know, I think one thing that happens is in history books, like we learn about men far more than we learn about women or LGBTQ plus folks. Um, and that's, I think, a direct impact uh, in Latin America of the language, at least, is that we're accustomed to using like male-centered language. And so we're also going to have like male-centered like attitudes or, or actions or or learnings and whatnot. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a big a, a big part of it. The impact is very real. Um, I think one thing that's unique um, that I came across not too long ago um, when I was looking at um, languages, though, in the development of the term Latinx, is that like Latin itself. So it is a, a language that is um, gendered as well. There is a, a masculine and feminine word. Uh, form of, of Latin, but uh, in its origins, it actually became, it was neutral. Um, so before there was a gender in Latin, it was neutral where, you know, everybody was, it didn't really matter what your gender was, like in English, right? Like I'm cold or, you know, I'm tall and you're tall, for example, right? Like it's not alto, alta, it's just like alte or whatever. I, I don't know what the actual Latin <laughs> term is, but like, right? Like it was, there was no gender associated with that adjective. Um, eventually Latin developed a gendered focus and that's kind of what like won over in a sense where gender, you know, gendered based languages kind of emerged and that became more popular and the neutral kind of base of Latin in, in a lot of these languages kind of just like fell out or disappeared in a sense. Um, so I think it's important to note that like, yeah, um, Languages are always changing, and this is one example. And in, in a sense, like people are kind of bringing it back to that neutrality that is at the origin of language, um, which, you know, again, Latin eventually developed into Spanish, Portuguese, French, Italian, Romanian, and so many other like Romance, European based languages. This is such a crazy, not a crazy conversation, but it, it's such an interesting conversation because I would, I would like to know, like you're saying, like, Obviously, English is, is not a gendered language, and there are other languages that are not gendered. As to why Latin and why it influenced being those Latin, those gender languages, like, is there any as, as to as, as to why that happened, where Spanish became male or female, baso o basa, digo baso basa, alto alta, right? It, and, and maybe there's not an answer to this, but to me, it's interesting that as to, we don't see it, we see it in some cultures. Is it is it cultural? And I know. Uh, Danelli's already smiling because I can see her. <laughs> There's an because answer. She's, she's ready to give me the P word, right? <laughs> right? Like she's just dying to, to to message me and say, we know why we so. Um, uh, but do you did you see that in any any research as to as why the Latin the Latin uh, language went from Latin, then it went to a gender, and then it just kind of spread to French, Portugal, Portuguese, Spanish, Italian, as to very, very gendered um, language. Yeah, uh, so I, th I would say for me, one of, I guess a theory that I have about that, um, a lot of it comes with the idea that like, you know, taking a step back, if we look at Latin America, if we look at Africa, Asia, you know, the Pacific Islands, 
there's a lot of non-gendered language. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of indigenous languages don't have gender in them either. Um, and in the Americas itself too. Right, exactly. Yeah. So this is a, you know, this is a very common thing for thousands of years. There's been, you know, no gendered language. I think what happened was with the with the gendering of Latin and, you know, European languages, there was also kind of a rise in Christianity and a lot of those values that really did kind of look down upon and, and violently kind of through colonization kind of get like force a binary when it came to gender. Uh, and that played a role in, in our language too. And so um, when we had various genders in so many parts of the world, but then you have this, you know, concentration of all these powers that's, you know, again, colonization that's that's using language to colonize as well as obviously other, other forms, um, it kind of really reinforced the, bin uh, the binary there. So the, the concept of gender as a binary and language as a binary kind of, I want to say, move like emerge together. Merge together. Yeah. And Danielle was 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 laughing because she's like, I know why. I mean, this, <laughs> we've talked about this before. Um, it is a patriarchal society, especially in our language, in our countries, in our culture. Um, and and you see it, right? You, just like you said, men wrote the history books, uh, and the the power of women and and, and feminism is, is is early in in it's as far as where we're at in the world. Um, so I wanted to just kind of ask that, just thinking about it, of why is it that we came in, and thank you for answering it. Um, so getting back to the term Latinx, and you've, you've, you've detailed perfectly, right? Here's the history of it. And now we're trying to figure out how we can be more inclusive, especially with our language that is, isn't as inclusive. Now, here's where people have a problem with it. And, and let's be honest with it. Um, if you're listening to us and you're like, I, I, to me, uh, there's no problem if I say todos. I'm okay as a woman. No, I'm just saying that I know that todos means everybody, and it doesn't bother me. Uh, and I don't think that – I don't want to say it should bother anybody, right? But at the same time, I think this is where we have that conversation of, but why? Danelli, you – my favorite you know, conversations with you is, why do we need to follow why do we need to keep doing what everyone is doing if it's not right? In, in, inside, I want to be inclusive. I, I want to make sure everyone's involved. We're, we are a culture that we, like I've said this before, we want everybody to feel welcomed, right? Because if we have a party, no matter if it's the neighbors, whoever, bring them along. It's okay. I, I've, in our culture, I feel like there is a sense of unity, but then we don't want to change in certain things. And well, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I, I could go, I don't even know where to, where to begin. Um, but I think that, um, right, like you said, right, some people are okay with using todos to, to talk about, you know, when we're talking about everyone. But the reason why I think we need to question it is because, uh, right, so Michael has given us kind of the history on, on how Latinx started and why. Um, and it's important to to recognize that Spanish itself is um, in Spanish they call it the masculino genérico, right? Which means that um, everything is like if we're talking about a group of people, we're talking about um, and and there's ten women and, and one man. We're gonna say mm -hmm. ellos, right? Because it's it's been this rule that was created by the I think the Real Academica of of, of Spanish or the whatever raya. the raya, right? 
but people don't question who created that, right? You know, it's it, it was created by a very conservative, uh, masculine men, right? That that wanna wanna continue this pattern of of patriarchy. Um, and I think that, and if you're listening to this, I just ask that you listen with an open mind, because again, right, this is a lot of um, we're questioning a lot of history. Um, so I understand that it's sure. it, it might not be easy to listen to or to grasp. Um, but again, you know, everyone's entitled to their own perspective. Um, but I do think it's important that we have an open mind to this, right? And the implications that it has on that is that it, this male-centered language excludes a lot of people. And like Michael said, it makes a large part of society invisible. Half of the population, we're women. We're feminine, mascul feminine women. And using that masculino genérico, it makes us invisible. So that's why I personally am not okay with using the word todos when we're talking about a group of, of 10 women and one, one man. To me, it's not okay. Um, I personally don't feel uh, like I belong because it just, to me, it just doesn't make sense. Um, so I just think that as the world evolves um, and language evolves that we should have evolved with it. And the reality is that um, there, there's more than just the binary male or female or man or woman or masculine, masculine and feminine. There's so many more ways to identify. So if we continue using this generic masculine, you know, to, to identify, to uh, categorize a large group, we're going to continue mar marginalize a large amount of the population. And that's why I think it's not okay. Um, we're continuing to talk you know, about the term, the Latinx term. And um, I think we can kind of go where we gave the history and as to why it, it was needed. And Michael, thank you for giving us a, a, a great definition of it in the discussion. Um, why do people have a problem with it? And you've already talked about it a little bit, Janetti, right? Um, people, people are really, really, they, they're like, they don't want to use it, you know, and there's a, there's a, there's certain kind of subjects that come around. So I've asked my family members, Hey, you've heard Latinx. The first thing I said, the first thing I hear is, no, perdón por pinches gringos nada más quieren poner. You know, they just want to label us. And this is such a, this, this is such a term that it's, it's just American. Nobody south of the border wants to use Latinx. It's a very English term. Another way for white people to label us and, or, you know, instill their own, you know, um, causes that they have nothing, that they, they, it doesn't even affect them, but they just want to do it. And we've seen that before, right? Why people implanting themselves in, in a cause where it has nothing to do with them, but they're fighting the, the cause and they feel great about it. Uh, that's what a cousin told me about, not knowing about it. And that's one. Um, but uh, Michael, your, your research has, has, has got you to believe that it's not, it didn't come from white America putting Latinx into our vocabulary. Right. Yeah. I think that's that's a common criticism that I've heard from other folks as well, is that like, oh, they're trying to impose this word on us. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's interesting is the research that I've done, and, and you know, thanks to you know, Cristina Mora and Laura Gomez and David Bowles, for example, for, for some of the people who do a lot of research on this term as well, um, who've enlightened me on this. But from the research that I've been able to find and, and through their work and, and other avenues, I found that the term Latino is white America putting the term on Latin Americans, right? Mm -hmm. But the term Latinx is the opposite. It emerged in Latin America 
and came to the U.S. Um, dun, dun, dun. And, exactly. And I think that's a common misconception because I think a lot of people think that it's, you know, Western or, you know, European or, or U.S. American people kind of imposing it on, on us. Um, but in many ways, it's us kind of taking the word or our people from Latin America taking the word and making it fit to what our experiences are and stuff. And so where like Latinidad in, a, in general is like a, a kind of a flawed arbitrary concept that emerged to place the emphasis on European heritage and, and gender, um, the masculine gender. I've My interpretation of, of Latinx is it's kind of like um, being critical of that, recognizing um, indigenous, black, queer, women, trans, you know, femme voices um, that have historically been ignored by this term. And the X is kind of like, you know, acknowledging those histories. There's this really yeah. good article by um, Alan Pelaez Lopez, uh, and they talk about just like how that's like, like the X is kind of a wound of patriarchy, the, the wound of racism, the wound of colonization. Wow. Um, and it like the X kind of encompasses a lot of that. And so I I really embrace the X um, for that reason. I think it does bring in more people into the mix. And I think with the term Latinx, it's also been more welcoming to people, like I said, from the West Indies, from Belize, from Guyana, who've historically not been included in Latinidad. It's opened up that space. And I'm not saying they have to take that identity, but mm -hmm. I think it's open to them. And I, and I you know, I'm, I'm happy if they do take it. I also understand if they don't, because it has been erasure. Um, but I think, you know, one thing that I also want to get across from the research that I've done is that the X has been around for a while. So there's like posters from the 90s before Latinos showed up on the census with the X. And the X wasn't necessarily meant to be spoken. Um, a lot of people put the X mm. there because they want to make it clear that like, like, if you see, you know, todes, you're probably not going to make a double take. But if you see todex, for example, like, you're going to make a double take because it's like, wait, what is that? And in a way, like the X is kind of like, a, we're here, we're not invisible, like acknowledge us, see us. Um, so a lot of people, they brought in the X to make it more visible, to make it more pop, like, you know, pop out. But a lot of people pronounce it with an E. So um, it would still be todes, even though it's with an X. And I understand like, you know, people are still reckoning with how to say certain words. Mm -hmm. um, but the X was like a way to pop, but... Um, you know, pronounced with an E because, you know, understandably, like putting an X is going to be a little bit hard um, when you're used to using vowels, right? Um, so the E is kind of like a remedy of that. Um, and I also think it's important to acknowledge that even in the 70s, there's some evidence that people were using X's and E's back then. I mean, Delia Suardia is an Argentine scholar. She wrote a book about gender neutral Spanish uh, in 1973. Um, so it's been around for a while. I think it's just hasn't been acknowledged. Like a lot of that history wasn't acknowledged or brought to the forefront. And so it kind of was lost for a little bit, but a lot of people are really trying to reclaim it and bring it back. So misconception number one, Latinx was brought by the people, right? By, by, by the people that want to be called. So, and that's one of the things for you first hear that. Um, number two that I always hear is, um, and we already kind of touched a little bit about it. It's that you're taking the history, our culture of Spanish, of 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 the language that's so important to so many people, apparently, that they that you don't want that they don't want to change, you know, the the gender terms, right? That you're you're taking something um, as easy as there's not that many X's in the Spanish language, um, and you're trying to change that. Um, where you've seen, um. And I guess this is where I ask anybody that that is so tied up to that Spanish, is that this, 
Spanish language came from Spain who colonized this. Like, I, I don't necessarily, um, to me, you know, Spain is, 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 is another country, but to me, I would say since I was born in Mexico, what my heritage is and what my culture is comes from the native American people that were in Mexico. Right. And I guess that's, that's the next thing where people say they're, they're so tied up with the, with, with Spanish and how do you answer or, or what's, what's your answer to the people that say, um, I don't want to change the beautiful language of Spanish. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think when I think of that, you know, these two misconceptions that you brought up, you know, with respect to the first one, just to kind of reiterate, um, from what I've seen in a lot of the, the research that I've done and, you know, a lot of the, the, the photos and the archives that I've seen, it seems like Latino came from the U.S. and went to Latin America. It seems like Latinx came from Latin America and came to the U.S. Um, and then in terms of that second, uh, you know, thing in, in relation, the, the second misconception is that, like, one is I think it's important to know that it, I think it's, I think it's important to know that, like, a lot of people in Latin America, there's so many of us, right? Like, I think it's kind of presumptuous or, or offensive in a way to say that our own people as Latin Americans can't think critically about their own language because they've been thinking about it critically for a very long time. Um, and so it didn't, we didn't need US focused people to, US based people to, you know, tell the rest of the continent how to think. That's one thing I, I want to share. But when it comes to the language, I mean, if there's such an attachment to Spanish and, you know, people are being defensive about, it's, you know, the X is changing our language. I think it's also important to acknowledge one, again, that Latin started off as like a gender neutral language. Uh, indigenous languages, in many cases, many of them are not gender based at all. Um, on top of that, I also think it's important to note, uh, and Janelli, you mentioned this earlier, is like, society is always evolving, language is always, always evolving, and it's very natural. And that's why we have, um, you know, different terms and different ideas in even Spanish-speaking countries, like if you have Puerto Rican Spanish, you have Colombian Spanish, Bolivian Spanish, you have all of these types of Spanish that people have in their own regions because it makes sense for, you know, the, the cultures that they're in, the people that are around them. You have different accents for a reason. And that's also why we have, you know, different English, right? Because the English in the U.S. is different from the English in the U.K. And that's, again... English in California is different from the you know, Texas to New York. Like, it's not only just that. It's the, the Mexican Spanish in the north, Janelli to Ciudad de Mexico. It's, every, it's so different and people are so tied into it. Like, Spanish is not yeah. perfect. Yeah, exactly. Spanish, even as one language in and of itself, has evolved in so many different ways into so many different directions. So it, it just makes sense that it's also going to evolve to be more inclusive, given the conversations that we're having. Um, and so it's a very, like, language evolution is a very natural thing that has been happening, you know, since the beginning of time. That's why, that's why, you know, Portuguese and Spanish are different languages, because they started from the same kind of branch and then branched out into their own things. And that, that could be a whole podcast in itself, how people are That's so right. tied up to saying the correct Spanish. And generally that, and I'm sure this has happened to you where, like, for example, the in, in Mexico, you know, obviously you come to the U.S., there are a lot of terms that are taken from the, from the U.S. language, right, that it's mixed into the border, troca. You know, like like <laughs> that time that people in Mexico go, oh, my gosh, these people up there, they just their language, they're butchering our Spanish. But yet you see the word bistec comes from beefsteak or the word pancake comes from pancake. Like it happens so much over the years that you feel like your Spanish is perfect. 
and it, everyone does the same thing. Like you start mixing in things and then that's, that's what you call it. You know, I, it's, it's, it's crazy for me. And that can be another conversation of how everyone thinks. And I think that's where that comes from. People are so tied into that language where Spanish is mine. It's beautiful. And then I go, well, why? Because you're mestiza, mestizo like me. Um, you know, it's not like you're Nahuatl or you're, you're taking whatever indigenous language is part of your culture. Why aren't you tied to that? Because that's who, that's who you really represent. Why are you so tied to the Spanish? And it comes down to why are you so hooked on keeping the gender, you know, the, the gender terms? I think part of that comes from, you know, for those people that are really stuck on like, hey, like, you know, why are you change, trying to change Spanish? Why are you trying to change the culture? Um, I think people don't like change. People don't like radical change and it's scary, but it's okay. If something's scary and it's new and it's different, it's okay. It doesn't, because it's different, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. And from the history that, that Michael gave us, uh, what stands out to me the most is that language evolves and it's always going to evolve. Uh, and another thing that stood out to me is that uh, I mean, I was mind blown when you shared the fact that Latin itself was gender gender neutral to begin with. It was like just mind blowing to me. And I think it's such a cool fact. Um, and I think people should really take that into consideration when they're, you know, being defensive about why somebody somebody is trying to change their language. I don't think anybody's trying to change anybody else's language. I think language doesn't belong to one specific person or to one specific group. I think it belongs to everybody. And as long as uh, we're doing more good than bad. Um, I think we should be, you know, open-minded to, to the X or the E because, you know, Latina is, it's, it's easier to pronounce that than the X, like, like Michael said. Um, and again, uh, using the word Latina or Latinx is just an example of, of so many, so many words in Spanish, um, that, that could use the, the general neutral, neutral X or E. Yeah. It, on that same note, I mean, Think of how meaningful and how powerful it is for folks who don't feel male, don't feel female, who identify as non-binary or, or some other variation or some other gender, like how powerful it is to finally put a name to something that makes sense. Because, you know, there are people who have had to say estoy cansada or, you know, whatever, and had to use the A and the O and haven't necessarily felt like that describes their experience. And then all of a sudden, you know, they have this X or this E and it feels, it just feels right. It feels, it makes sense mm -hmm. for them. Like think of that person who feels so affirmed by that and, and like acknowledge that for a second. I think it's yeah. important to, to recognize that these, you know, non-binary identities have been around for thousands of years, including across Latin America. Um, and, you know, some of that language unfortunately disappeared through colonization, but think about that language emerging now. Like there's something to be said about finding the right word for you. Um, and also we so like you mentioned that, you know, the, the blending of languages, which makes a lot of sense for the, the region that like I grew up in, for example, with Southern California and, you know, Tijuana is not very far away. Like, you know, my, I grew up with brecas, for example, um, <laughs> as, a, as a word, right? And by the way, that's breaks. Yes, exactly. But I know for those of you that don't know. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's safe to say that a lot of, you know, the three of us, as well as like others on both sides of the border, like we identify very much with that blending. Like we identify with both sides of the border, with both languages, with, you know, all these like rich heritage. Um, and I think that's important to acknowledge too, because um, your podcast is called Nida, Nida Aquí, or like Nida Allá, yeah. right? And like we have, you know, if you're familiar with Gloria Anzaldúa, who's a scholar from, um, and she 
she talks about Nepantla, which is this Nahuatl word about like, you feel like you're stuck in between. You're not part of either, um, but yet you're part of both. And I feel like so many of us from this border region do feel like we're part of neither, but we're also part of both. Um, and I think it's important to acknowledge that that's a culture too, right? Like our in-betweenness is very much a culture. And for so long, we didn't have necessarily the words to describe that, but now we do. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Wow. Wow. Um, listening, li listening to you, it just kind of gave me chills because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's so important the way that you want to identify yourself. And I think everyone, it, it, it's important to yourself. Um, you were mentioning that um, how, how great it feels that now someone is, is included in this conversation. And, and on the other side of things, I, I was doing some, some research of, of, you know, of the trans community being able to be, uh, you know, call, you know, ella, for example. Mm -hmm. um, it's like on the other side of it. And it, it's, there's no perfect way, you know, the, I don't think we're going to find a term that's going to be perfect for everybody. But I think ultimately, how you how you feel and the way that you want to describe yourself is what's important. And um, I think that this conversation, hopefully, if you're listening, has given you a little bit more of a perspective and a little bit of knowledge of 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 that term now we're not saying go out use it don't you know it's wrong if you don't use it that's not what we what we're saying but at least hopefully this conversation gives you a little bit more when people bring up those those conversations as to hey it's not part of spanish hey it's just you know the imperialistic mindset and you know people are trying to change our language um and to you know even there are just people that are just going to be completely stubborn and just will never use it just because it's could be whatever age boomers. I don't know, <laughs> but it's, uh, I do feel, and, and Michael, is this, is this accurate to say that the new generation, this young generation are, I have adapted a little bit more or a little bit better to, to the term in, in your research. I would definitely say so for sure. Um, I think, you know, I've spoken to teachers, for example, who didn't know or didn't hadn't heard of the X, and I've spoken to parents um, who learned it from their own children, who learned it from their own students. And so I do think it is something that is being embraced more. I think a lot of it has to do also with the fact that, you know, there are more discussions around gender, about gender mm -hmm. equality, around sexuality. Like even myself, like I think a decade ago, I couldn't mouth the word gay. Like I just couldn't. Like I, I, it had so much power over me, I could not say it. Now, like, it doesn't have that same level of power for me. And I actually prefer the word queer now, but just in general, like, I do think the fact that we're having these discussions and there is more embrace of these previously, like, hidden narratives, I think is just making the conversation a lot more easier. And I also think because, like, younger folks are growing up with just, you know, sexuality being more normal than it was mm -hmm. a generation ago with with discussions of gender equality being normalized than it was a generation ago i think it's just more like whereas tolerance of others is natural they're not necessarily learning the stuff that we learned when we were kids right yeah. like i remember internalizing that you know being queer was bad and maybe some of them might still be getting that message but that message isn't as pushed out there and there's also messages that are the opposite that they're learning from the get-go. Um, so kids, you know, like my my niece is my niece, right? Like she, like they know about me, and it was yeah. never an issue for them. Um, but 
you know, I, I think 10 years ago, maybe it would have been, but I think we're just natural, like we're bringing in these perspectives and these stories and this diversity that um, I think is really having, like really having its moment with youth because they're just, they're coming in with an open mind because that's how being, they're being taught from the get-go. I, I definitely agree. agree with you, right? We're um, talking about these as like a step in the right direction. So we're definitely like taking a step in the right direction. And I think that uh, we're learning so much along the way. Like honestly, having you on here, Michael, has been like, you know, just for me, so eye-opening. Um, it's obviously a, top, a topic that I'm very passionate about, but just uh, having like just the, the solid research behind it is, is so important, right? Because a lot of people um, can kind of just go out there and talk about these things without having a good foundation. And I think that's something that you help uh, provide, not just for this episode, but just for our podcast in general, like moving forward, it's so important um, to have this, to have this history and to have this, this discussion. And uh, personally, like, you know, when I'm asked, you know, how do you identify? It's such a loaded question. I'm like, where do I even start? You know, uh, my first answer is oh, Janelli. But before that, you know, before I've learned to create my own identity, I used to say I'm Mexican American. That was like the very first thing that would come to my mind, you know, but now it's like, I'm Janelli. And um, I think just for everyone out there that's listening, uh, like we so said, right, you know, you don't have to use the term if you don't want to. Um, we just want to put it out there that it's, it's an umbrella term. It's, it's, it's more exclusive than, than previous terms. I personally think, um, like Michael said, right, the X helps people just feel part of this, right? People that don't, that don't fit into this box that society tries to put us in of just being uh, a man or a woman or uh, being straight, right? So the X helps um, any person, despite how they identify, feel uh, like they belong. So I think that part's important. And also that who you are and how you identify doesn't take away from anybody else's identity. So if I choose to, to use the term Latinx and you choose not to, that's okay too. As long as we have a mutual respect, you know, I, it's not about forcing or imposing something on somebody else. I think it's more about, you know, living with empathy and just, uh, creating safe spaces for, for everyone to, to feel part of. Yeah, don't don't be angry because I use Latinx. Like that's that, that right now. If you're listening to us, just don't be angry at us. <laughs> you don't have to use it. And just just like I'm not angry that you're not using it. That's that's what it comes down to. There's a lot of people that are angry out there. Uh, Michael, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, if if Janelle and I have been going back and forth, obviously with this topic and. Uh, the notes that you gave us, the the research, and if you're listening, I mean, there's a reason why Michael uh, is at Harvard because <laughs> <laughs> so much research for this that we were like, oh, we we're like, oh my gosh, uh, we need we need to do our homework. Um, but I think you were you are the perfect person, especially for this topic. So Michael, um, gracias. We've worked before, you know, together in the past and and some other things, but to this, this this was definitely a highlight of 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 my podcasting that I've learned so much. So thank you so much. Gracias a ustedes. Like for real, I, I feel so honored to, to be here with you both um, to talk about this thing that I'm very passionate about. So, you know, thank you for this opportunity. Great. I think before we go, I want to just ask Michael one last question. Um, yeah, what's up? How do we, how do you identify? Where are you from? Oh, <laughs> that is a loaded question. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'd say how I identify 
you know, I identify as Mexican American, I identify as queer, I identify as, you know, binational. Um, I feel very much tied to both Mexico and the US. I identify as a student. I I would say my biggest identity right now is Uncle Soros. Um, I am the uncle to, you know, three nieces, uh, a nephew and another baby that's on the way. And that's such a salient part of who I am. Um, so there's that. I identify as an educator. Um, yeah, there's just like so many different parts of my identity. And I didn't necessarily... I use those to identify myself until, you know, like certain experiences. So my identity is always evolving. Um, there were times where I said I'm Mexican and didn't use the American. And then recently <laughs> it kind of came in. So honestly, like my own words have evolved and that's just natural, you know? Um, yeah. Thank you for asking that question. No, that's so cool. cool response. That is, that's, that's so cool to know. All right. I think that about wraps things up on this first official episode. To you, the listener, I really want to thank you personally. I don't ever want to waste your time and you stuck till the end, which is almost like an hour. I hope that you have taken something from this and ultimately, we would love it if you shared this episode. Maybe you have a tío or a cousin or someone that has talked about the Latinx term in a positive or a negative way. I mean, I'm sure in the past few days, you have at least heard it. In fact, I know you have. It's Hispanic Heritage Month. And however you want to celebrate this month, just know that everyone is different. Everyone has a different experience and it just takes a minute to understand it. All right, enough of me. Gracias otra vez y nos vemos, my Latinx people. From the marketing jersey, this has been the Nidia Key Podcast. Produced and written by the wonderful and talented Amelia Lopez. Artwork and design by Ilse Samarripa and video and graphics by Ibra Manuel. Also, special thanks to Guillermo Samarripa for planting this idea in our heads and by making sure we got it done. 